Thanks for stopping by, folks. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy again. That's Chase. I'm Josh. We are here to bring you part three of Mandalorian Season 2, where we're going to tackle Episode 7 and 8 today. If you've been following along with us this season, you know two weeks ago we started Mandalorian Season 2. We covered Episodes 1 through 3 in the second season. Last week we covered Episodes 4 through 6 in the second season. And today we finished the second season of The Mandalorian in its entirety, where we again cover Episodes 7 and 8. And there's so many amazing things that happen here in episode seven and eight that we're happy just to take a full episode to cover two mandalorian episodes just because there's a lot of things that tie into future events pull things back from past events and just a lot of climatic moments as well some things we see on screen that really kind of give a big wow factor that these two episodes deserve their own chase and josh factor fantasy episode so with that being said before i turn over to chase i just want to let you guys know I know we're only listening pretty much on audio here, so I want to give you the verbal visualization. Over here on my desk, I've got, again, Grogu. He is Baby Yoda. Grogu, the child himself, over here on my right-hand side. He may be force-feeding the wine in my mason jar to me in a little bit, depending on what cards might be played. (laughs) But uh, before that, we'll go ahead and turn it over to Chase, let him say his piece, and then we'll get this train rolling. Yeah, man. No, I'm just stoked for today's episode. I've been waiting for this for... A year because it's one of my favorite parts about season two and uh yeah on my end everything's pretty much the same i got mando in the back so you got grogo on your end mando's in the back here uh on my little uh uh malice uh cup here on the bottom i actually have a star wars tervis uh what do you call these things coasters we call coasters that's what they're called and this one's supposed to actually be from this one's from Batu, which is from Galaxy's Edge. So it kind of puts us in that Star Wars mood. But yeah, man, I'm stoked for today. I'll kick us off today, and then you're going to take the big climatic, climactic, there's no words as climatic, climactic <laughs> episode for today. And I'm, I'm ready to roll. I say we get a malice in the chalice. You want to give a quick recap of kind of what happened last week? Yeah, absolutely. So let's go ahead and cheers uh, to ourselves here before we get rolling. Quick mouse and the chalice cheers, and then we'll get into a recap, and I'll turn it over to you to really start us off. Malice in the chalice, baby. Good stuff. All right. So just to kind of pick up on a few key bullet points of where we left off last week, you guys remember the big task was to take Grogu to this Jedi temple on this planet, and basically what ends up happening, he, man, like, of course, we've been calling Din Djarin Mando, so you guys are wondering why we're not calling him Din Djarin. It's just easier for us to say Mando other than saying his first and last name every time we reference him, right? So um, we we end up kind of going to this planet where there's this Jedi Temple and the Seeing Stone, right? It's kind of in ruins a little bit, almost like it's been destroyed from years of whatever maybe happened, either the weather or someone came there and a lot of bad things happened. But basically, it's got this like ruined temple with a Seeing Stone. They put Grogu on it, and then we have... Uh, that really cool moment where a, a very familiar ship shows up and someone comes out. Uh, if you guys remember who Boba Fett is, uh, he comes out and, and asks for his armor back. They kind of have like a little standoff. We got a little blast in the plasma. where Fennec Shan, we thought she was dead back in season one. Uh, Boba Fett actually saved her. And so that was Boba Fett and Fennec Shan. And that's actually a little bit of foreshadow for uh, future events too. Uh, but they are there. They want his armor back. And they end up getting attacked by the stormtroopers that because if you guys remember they actually placed a gps tracker on the razor crest which is mando's ship 
and they figured out exactly where he was. And all of a sudden, we see a bunch of stormtroopers coming at them. You know, they're doing well defending it. We get to see Boba Fett back in his full armor. It was badass, and it was all ruined. You know, which is kind of cool because in this episode, you see it fully painted again at its like full restoration, which is amazing. But you know, kind of last week, we got that cool battle scene. And uh, what ends up happening is the Dark Troopers, they make their first appearance, and they come down, they grab Gogu, and they take him up away, and now all of a sudden, Mando's lost without Grogu. We don't have him, he's in Moff Gideon's custody, in those little shackles, and so the whole thing is like, where the hell do we go from here? And then also, how that episode really ends out is Mando going back over to Navarro, asking Cara Dune, hey, can we help find this prisoner called Mayfeld? And she tells him that, hey, she's kind of straight edge now that she's New Republic. And he tells her, well, they got the kid. And she kind of gives this like look like, all right, here we go. And that's kind of how the episode closes out. And so that's really kind of going to drag us in here to episode seven. So with that little quick recap, I'll turn it over to Jason. He'll take us to episode seven. We'll give our thoughts about it. And then I'll get into episode eight. We'll give our thoughts about that. And then we'll close up with like our debates and our overall perception of where we think the series is going. So uh, without further ado, I'll give you a chase here to take us to episode seven. Let's do it, man. So episode seven, The Believer. Uh, so first thing we kind of see is we have this droid that's looking for inmate 34667. And finally, he finds the inmate and says, please follow Marshall Dune. Well, you come to find out that's Mayfeld is who this person actually is. Uh, just like Jay Nelly was saying in his recap, I always kept calling him Mayfield, <laughs> but it's Mayfeld. That's why we have Uncle Nelly here. He corrects me on my names. But anyway, so Mayfeld says... Because they're looking for the light cruiser at Moff Gideon. The only way he can actually get these coordinates is to go to an Imperial terminal. Uh, and there's actually one on Morak. That's the one they decide to go to because of the location they're at at the time. So Mando, and I call him Mando, but Mando and Cara Dune, he is basically forced it's implied <laughs> like he's gonna help them out and uh it was i thought this part was kind of funny when they were going back and forth like he was kind of trying to bargain for his like escape and they were like well you get a better view <laughs> like, that's all you're really getting out of this right so what happens is they have this plan uh in order to get to that terminal they're going to I called it like a Humvee thing that they were in. What what do you call the... Uh, it was basically like a transporter. But it was a transporter um, for what they were, was called Rhydonium is what they were transporting for this. Uh, to basically cover up uh, as a way to get access into this Imperial Terminal to get the coordinates. So... Uh, Mando tells they're kind of debating back and forth how they're going to do this but Mando tells Mayfield uh, they're going to sneak in uh, and then they decide to go as I call them Morak troopers because they don't look exactly like stormtroopers but what would you call that armor so is there a word for that like in the episode itself and keep in mind guys I don't know if you guys remember this from last year when I was talking about how I do these episodes I actually watch it with the, the uh, captions on and in the uh, captions when Mayfeld is talking to Mando, what he's about to, Chase will be about to get into after they take over that little, you know, transport vehicle. He does say like you're wearing stormtrooper armor. So apparently it is stormtrooper, but it, Chase is right. It does absolutely look different than like the the plain white ones that we are normal 
normally mm-hmm. seeing. They're kind of like grayed out. They look more honestly, they're kind of cooler to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I still think that they're stormtroopers just wearing different. Uh, maybe it, that's how they designate certain platoons or whatever, or different uh, stations or like positions in their ranks. I don't know. But uh, Mayfeld himself said that they were stormtroopers, so I'm just gonna go with uh, stormtrooper. <laughs> Works for me, man. Works for me. But I thought it was cool. Um, so one kind of little part here that I think kind of plays into maybe this underlying foreshadowing, right? Is Mayfeld is talking to Mando at one point on this transporter, and he's basically trying to convince him to take off his mask at some point like you want to take off your mask right and he was telling him you know everyone has lines they don't cross until things get messy and i thought that was a really cool quote because it kind of plays into a little bit of foreshadowing as things start going on and he was talking about you know changing the rules like you know now there was the empire now there's this new order uh and he he was telling you know how basically they are looked at as just like invaders on this land anyways by the locals that are there so i think uh, but anyway yeah, i really sorry. i really think one thing i wanted to mention here too is like i want to talk about the plan that they actually came up with and why they had to come up with it this way i think it was important for like the backstory is that they want to swap out as like the drivers for this transporter but Cara Dune is is now she's New Republic, right? So she can't do right. these kind of like sub op things anymore. She's kind of kind of be on the straight and narrow. And Fennec Shin, she's also wanted by the ISB. And Boba Fett says they may recognize his face, so it's got to be Mando and Mayfeld who go in alone. But it's going to be tricky because as Chase was talking about right there, like Mando isn't supposed to be taking off his helmet, but he can't look like a Mandalorian either. And so the actual, right. I actually wrote down this. Uh, entire dialogue. I normally don't like to do dialogue, but I think that that specific dialogue is really important. This is where Mayfeld tells Mando, he's like, hey, I'm just a realist. I'm a survivor just like you. And Mando replies, let's get one thing straight. You and I are nothing alike. Mayfeld says, I don't know. Seems to me like your rules start to change when you get desperate. I mean, look at you. You said you couldn't take your helmet off, and now you got a Stormtrooper one on. So what's the rule? Is it that you can't take off your Mando helmet? Or you can't show your face. Because there is a difference. Look, I'm just saying, we're all the same. Everybody's got their lines they don't cross until things get messy. And I thought that was a badass awesome. quote to say. Like, I just want to put that out there. But I'll go ahead and, and turn it back over to Chase now. Badass line, man. You crushed it. Um, but basically at this point, so they're they're transporting this Rhydonium. And these, I call them Morak pirates. But <laughs> they're pirates, but like alien pirate things. They try to attack the ship and stop them from transporting this Rhydonium, basically. Or just, was their intention really, here's a good question. Was their intention just to really get them off the planet and take everything over or to stop the Rhydonium or a little bit of both? I think, like, and it's funny because we can almost use, like, a debate in that, uh, you know, scenario. But I would say that, like, it was trying to blow up the Rhydonium so that way it didn't get back to the Imperial base and the Imperial base wasn't going to u- be able to use that later on either against them on their own planet or for whatever they may use it for. So I think they were just trying to blow up the Rhydonium so there was no more Rhydonium. Like, I think that's exactly that's what, what they were trying to do. Because remember, they were putting those like weird pucks onto it and just trying to blow up the cruise. Because right. we got to see in the background <laughs> like two other ones blow up. We got to see the, kind of like the, the mushroom cloud of smoke blow up of the other transporters that were not Mando and Mayfeld that were also transporting Rhydonium like those ones blew up so it's not like they were trying to jack the Rhydonium and steal it for themselves and use it for themselves I think they were just trying to stop it from getting to the Imperial base yeah no that was awesome but uh yeah Jay Nelly hit the nail on the head there so as they're doing this too so 
uh, they're attacking Mando, and he's on the roof. He climbs up on the roof of this transporter. One thing I thought was cool, it's kind of like Shang-Chi we talked about. So in an encounter with somebody, you're actually taught in like martial arts, if you're going to take on a number of people at one time, you get them in a line so you can take them on one-on-one. So I thought it was really cool just on the top of the train or <laughs> the transporter. He was taking them on one by one and he was kicking ass at first, right? And, um, you know, just one by one, he was kind of like throwing them off the roof, you know, blowing them up with his his star gun, whatever the fuck you call it, <laughs> laser gun, right? And at, at one point, finally, you know, it's almost just like too much for him and he gets held against the side of this transporter where he's basically on the cliff at this point and they're trying to blow up the Rhydonium. Um, but, uh, it, he, you know, he braces himself after he gets them off because there's just too many of them. They just keep coming back, you know, coming in swarms from like the other transporters that are behind the transporter. But luckily the whole group is basically saved because as they're moving, they're getting closer to the Imperial, um, you, I would call the base, I guess, the terminal, right? The Imper- Imperial terminal. And as they're getting closer, these TIE fighters swarm down. I feel like it's always like the TIE fighters are some fucking spaceship that saves their ass. Like comes down and just starts taking out the pirates. As uh, This is pretty much that clutch moment for Mando. Like, holy shit, like, am I going to make it through this? Because there's only so many people you can take on at one time. Uh, and they just swarm down and just shoot them, blow that shit up, and see you later, pirates. You gave it a good fucking run. So they get into the stormtrooper base, and uh, immediately when they get into the base, Mayfeld recognizes there is Valen Hess uh, that used to work for, uh, that he used to work for, and he's afraid he can't get the coordinates in there because of it. So Mando actually volunteers. Uh, to go in and get the coordinates. And this quote here is really cool. He says, the terminal has to scan your face. So, like, this is a big moment here. Like, this is the only way to get the coordinates. So this goes back to what Jay Nelly was saying, like, changing rules <laughs> when it gets messy, right? You're kind of backed into a fucking corner. Well, they go in, and this is when the rules start getting changed. So Mando takes off his helmet when it starts counting down. Because it's about, it's not giving him the coordinates at all. And it's about to sound this massive ass alarm. And it goes five, four, three, two. And all of a sudden, the rule he never wants to break, he takes off the helmet, it scans his face, which is changing the rules, and gives him the coordinates. But at this time, so Valen Hess stops him and asks him, what's his TK number? After he's trying to give all these excuses, like, you know, what's. What, what group are you in and all this stuff. And he's like, the transporter group is not buying that shit at all. So Mayfeld winds up stepping in and tells Valen Hess that Mando is his commanding officer, TK-593, and he is the Lieutenant TK-111. And he's going to speak to him because he lost pressure, basically like, I, I would say lost his hearing <laughs> due to an incident before. So he's trying to come up with these excuses for him, but the vessel lost pressure into Nab. And then, so Hess begins and says, and like speaks up to Mayfeld, if that wasn't even going even worse. So Mayfeld was saying they called him brown eyes, just making a joke. And he starts speaking up, calling him brown eyes, trying to get his attention. 
And Valen asks them if they're the two that delivered their shipment of Rhydonium, and they confirm, of course, they do, right? Well, he tells them, which is where this is going to get them into a little bit of a pickle, that they managed to deliver their shipment, and they were the only ones that managed to deliver their shipment. If that doesn't tell you something fishy, like, why the fuck weren't they blown up with all the other transporters that were transporting Rhydonium? Well, Valen tells them both uh, to go get a drink, and he, like, speaks up, and he goes, let's go get a drink, brown eyes. Like, sort of being a sarcastic asshole. So, um, at this point, uh, so I thought this was kind of an interesting, interesting moment here. So, Finnick and Dune are outside at this time, and Finnick... Uh, and Dune focus on the troopers uh, that take the cannons and Dune is starting to wonder what's taking Mando and Mayfeld so long because they're giving them cover uh, gonna try to give them cover gunfire cover as they escape right? Yeah they're, set, Valen, up, yeah. they're set up as snipers on the outside I thought that was really cool like because Fennec yeah, Shand, like cool, she's right? a sharpshooter and Cara Dune we know how she is with the New Republic so like they're on the full outside of it just set up as snipers waiting for something to happen they think something should have happened by now and they start like you said start getting concerned that they're they're not out by now so yeah that's i thought that was super cool yeah i thought it was badass um and then this is when you have valen tells mayfeld uh you can really see what a asshole and kind of a psycho he is he tells mayfeld the people that died helping the new order died we always keep throwing it back to geller grindelwald for the greater good. Like, how shitty is that? Shows well, you really don't give a fuck that was about more, your people. That was more like the Empire, not the New Order. It was the Empire like, that ended up happening. It was like called Operation Cinder. Okay. And I, yeah, and that yeah. was like for the, like the, there. I thought that was pretty cool because like, Mayfeld even tells me, he's like, he was there at Vernon Con and the entire city mm-hmm. was gone in moments with everybody in it and they lost the whole division, like five to 10,000 people. And so you're starting to see Mayfeld lose it a little bit, right? Like he's starting right. to, like, he's starting to, like, you, get, you know, if you ever get so mad that you're trying to keep calm, but you can't because you, you know, the emotions are taking over. Like that's the kind of moment that we're seeing here. That you know, Valen has this very, like, you know, como se como sa about it, very nonchalant. And and they felt like because he's like getting really pissed off that Valen has doesn't even seem to care about what happened at Burning Con. So I, I I thought that was a really big moment before Chase. I'm sure is going to take over from here and and talk about what happens right after this. So go ahead. No, I thought it was great. You know who Valen has reminded me of in some weird way. I have no idea why. In Westworld that we covered last year, there was one guy. You took this part of the episode, but I guess it was uh, maybe it wasn't Lawrence. It was someone that was similar to Lawrence, but he was like, because I do it in so much damn style. <laughs> like, that's who you reminded me of. Do you remember that guy in Westworld where he was, like, dancing with the girl or whatever? Like, psychotically really messed up, <laughs> in my opinion. Do you remember that at all? Probably not. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember like who you're talking about there. I, I I don't know if I can remember the name off the top of my head. And once we get back into Westworld, like I'm sure I'll, <laughs> I'll remember it there. Like, oh, this is what Chase was talking about back in Mandalorian. But off the top of my head, no, I, I don't remember. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird reference anyways. But he just, he just reminded me of like a really, like someone that doesn't give a fuck about his people, though. And you were right, definitely, about the Empire. Because remember, then at this point, he goes in and makes a toast uh, to the Empire. And um, then Mayfeld, just like you said, gets pissed, which makes me really wonder, is he really, like, a bad guy? Like, it, it really starts to make you wonder, right? Like, where his morals lie? And um, 
then uh, Mayfeld, like you said, gets pissed and shoots Valen Hess in the room. And then they start going into this whole goes into Westworld kind of thing, Cowboys, <laughs> Cowboys style, just shooting everyone in the room. Mando goes ham, you know, just lasers going off. Uh, and Mayfeld hands Mando his helmet and says, you did what you had to do. I never saw your face. And it kind of covers for him at this point. And it goes into what Jay Nelly was saying. Like, you know, when things get messy, you change the rules. Like, you got to do what you got to do. So they're shooting their way, blasting their way out of this fucking place, right? And uh, they wind up climbing up onto the roof of the building to try to escape um, while being covered by Dune and Fennec. Uh, Mayfeld then at this point as they're getting onto the ship to try to escape on this uh, like star cruiser I would call well, it. keep to, in mind like it was Boba Fett going? it was Boba Fett who picked them up it was Boba Fett's ship that they're getting right. on. Yeah. Yeah Boba so. Fett's ship yeah so uh, yeah and so they're climbing up on there and I thought this was cool he grabbed the rifle and shoots the engine on the base and it blows up all the refinery on the roof of the base. Well yeah. Like, it, what was really cool about it, what he shot was the cargo portion of the transport that they were in with the Rhydonium in it. That's and the Rhydonium yeah. blew up the base, and that was mm-hmm. what was really cool about it. You know, like, exactly. That, that, was, that was pretty badass. No, it was badass. Because uh, remember, going back into Valen Hess was talking about how they were going to use the Rhydonium. Exactly. So it kind of played a, a, a double barrel there and also showed like his morality like he actually gave a shit because he could have just escaped and said you know i did what i was required to do like fuck it and uh yeah it it was really cool and uh then you have this really awesome moment right um and i do want to say this quote which was cool so after he blows it up and the entire like top roof explodes he goes we all need to sleep at night and it really shows uh, really how good his character is at this point which you were kind of really wondering like this is a criminal <laughs> so how good is his character really and then you have this badass moment from Bubba Fett so they start getting followed by TIE fighters again you're just like damn these motherfuckers can't catch a break so the TIE fighters are following them and shooting at Bubba Fett's chip and then he drops which I would call like a plasma charge. I don't know what you would call it, but that's what I called it. And it was I, badass. What'd I legit called it a dope-ass explosive. That was in my notes. I just <laughs> said he dropped a dope-ass explosive and blows them the badass. fuck up. So that's what I put in there. Exactly. And what was cool, too, was when it dropped, it blew both of them up at once. And it was kind of one of those things like breaking the sound barrier. Like you don't hear it at first and then just bam, like takes both of them out shit goes fucking awesome good guys scott clean on the way to do what they got to do uh so they get off the ship mayfeld goes in to turn himself back in to cara dune which is really showing his character here and she just looks and says you know it's too bad mayfeld didn't make it out alive back there and mando looks at her and says yeah too bad and then uh so Uh, then at this point he's just kind of looking at them and uh dune just looks at him and goes look to me like prisoner three four six six seven died in the refinery explosion on morak and mayfeld is just kind of like do i can i go do i go and they're just staring at him and he just walks off 
and they let Mayfeld go. And uh, I think it, it was due to his character, in my opinion, and the decisions he made for going back to Gellert Grunewald <laughs> and in an opposite fact, fashion here for the greater good. Um, but so then uh, Kara and Mando and Bubba Fett and all of them, they and Fennec, they go off to pursue Moff Gideon. Mando sends a transmission, which is badass. We love our transmissions in Star Wars, which is really cool. Speaking of this on a side note, it's really amazing some of this technology that we've actually developed today. Like now you can see projections just like that. If you go to like Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at, uh, at Walt Disney World or Disneyland, it's pretty amazing. And he says, soon he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. And he was referring to Grogu because these motherfuckers are coming to get exactly what uh, they've been robbed of is literally his son basically at this point and he was even reminding you know, Moff Gideon like you have no idea what you have there even though I think Moff Gideon has a little bit of an idea and uh, that's going to lead us into the big climactic episode for today uh, and I'm going to let Jay Nelly take it away anything you want to say about episode 7? Yeah just two things right before the end there it was important to mention like like we, we got the resolution that because Mando tells Cara Dune that he got the coordinates of Moff Gideon's cruiser. So they know where Moff Gideon is now. And in that transmission, like I want to say like the full quote that he said, simply because if you guys remember this, and it's very easy to forget because it's been a long time since season one, he says the same speech that Moff Gideon gave him at the last yeah. episode of... Uh, or I'm talking about when they came to that area where they basically pinned them down and almost killed Mando... And the, and the child in the very beginning to, to get him gives him the same exact speech. So the fact that it was like a full circle moment was super, super cool. Uh, like So basically, it's Mando repeating the same speech that Moff Gideon gave back to him in season one. It says, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. So I just thought it was amazing how they did a full Great. circle moment of when Moff gave him like word for word that same speech last season, and now he turned around and used it on him, letting him know that we're coming for the child. So that's all I wanted to add for that episode. You know, what were your takeaways on this episode before I jump into episode eight? Were like, did you think what did you think about it as a whole? Did you think it was more of a filler episode? Did you think that you know things it helped things play out for the future? Like, what did you think about this one? Uh, you know, I, I think it was a little, it was definitely a little bit of a filler. However, I love the way they did it because even though it was a filler, it made important messages that I feel like you have to have in a series like this. Like the foreshadowing that actually was in this episode is very important because it's, and, and you don't get to see that a lot in Mandalorian because a lot of it is either straightforward action or uh, it is telling a message that's important to the story. Whereas here, it was kind of almost like how we've seen reading books or in uh, Game of Thrones a little bit, I'll say, which we always bring up Game of Thrones and Harry Potter and stuff on the show. Um, but it, it really was cool, you know, like seeing I like how now Mando, even going back in the past to where we were talking about the previous episodes, on um, la a couple weeks ago, it's been two weeks now, 
But like when Bo-Katan and all that was talking about, like kind of the new way, it's almost like Mando is embracing a little bit in the new way by not saying he's sacrificing his uh, his rules he goes by for the ancient way, but when things you know you got to do what you got to do and he was going to go as far as it took in order to save what i would call his son the one he's grown so close to is grogu like he would do anything for that kid and literally calls him the kid so i can say that (laughs) but like it, it just goes to show that's what i really loved about it the action of course is badass i mean who doesn't love the damn action? Uh, I thought the pirates, of course, that's a little bit of a filler, but I thought it was a very interesting way they decided to do that with the Rhydonium. And uh, one thing I did love about this episode is just the writing was actually really good. Like, it, it's a simple concept for a filler episode to get you where you need to be, but you had to make it a little bit more complex, or you feel like it's not going to be as intense trying to get coordinates and track down Moff Gideon because he's definitely the top guy here they're trying to take down right but as far as the writing and the way they made it play into the overall kind of message of how things are developing for uh the mandalorian franchise i i thought was great what about you so for this episode i was really impressed because you know it's hard for me to just call it a pure filler episode right because we got to see that um like we, how you can get in access to imperial bases and the terminals there, like like this, the, you can grab coordinates from other ships if you got like the right intel and you got the right you know background. I thought it was cool. It, it was like a mixture of a James Bond thing where it's got to be like a secret spy, but mm-hmm. also cool action as well. To where they end up, it's almost like the Empire or what's left of the Empire. I got to call them Empire sympathizers. They took their side at first because, number one, they didn't know that they had hijacked that transporter. And so they sent the TIE Fighters out to kill the pirates. Little did they know that they were kind of screwing themselves over by allowing Mando and, and Mayfeld right. to get in there. And then, you know, speaking on Mayfeld himself, I thought it was really cool because what they had did a great job doing. And what, you know, Disney as a whole has been doing a great job doing with all their films and all of their series is really kind of showing the quote-unquote bad guys aren't always you know just pure bad guys maybe they have to do some right. fucked up shit because you know like chase was saying whatever it takes to get the job done you know sometimes That's they got to kind of cross that line a little bit so i know we saw mayfeld in season one when they were on that that big ship doing that really huge mission and mayfeld kind of seemed like a dickhead and he was you know really arrogant and stuff and he ended up getting captured at the end and that's where he was in like the the chop fields that we saw at the beginning of this episode but as this episode progresses you kind of see where a lot of his motivation comes from. He was at Burnin' Khan when they lost five to 10,000 people. Like, he's been holding that in. And, like, you start to see, like, the real bad guy, you know, Valen Hess, he's just, there is no sort of sympathy. He's like, oh, they died, you know, for the greater good. They died in honor of the Empire. Like, they are heroes that will be remembered. Like, he didn't have any sort of remorse that this sort of thing happened. You know, and Mayfeld, he gets, like, emotionally overcome with it. And even at the very end, when he shoots the Rhydonium from Boba Fett's ship and says, we all need to sleep at night, you can tell that he's not just a typical bad guy that's just, you know, a cutthroat, no conscious person. He has his, his the reasons why he had to do the things he had to do. It just ended up catching up with him more so like where we see these good guys. A lot of times the good guys do some bad things too, but we, we view them as good guys. So we never really judge them for it. Where these bad guys are introduced as bad guys. So we just think no matter what they do, they're bad. Where this does a great job of showing like 
it's really don't judge anyone because you don't really know why they do the things that they really do until you get a backstory on it. And I think that is why this episode is really cool. So even though it's more of a filler as, as like the overall thing is we still got the Cornus Moff Gideon's Cruiser, which is what we needed to get in and out of. We got really cool action, you know, destroying pirates, you know, the, the, the ship fights between Boba Fett and the TIE Fighters at the end. We saw sharpshooting from Fennec Shan and Cara Dune. You saw Mayfeld, how he was a sharpshooter as well. Blew up, like hit that Rhydonia thing, blew that up. You know, so uh, I think overall it was a cool episode. It was, you know, maybe more so a filler than, than anything, but I still think that it was like, I, I would give it, I don't know, on a scale of like, like a A to F grade, I would probably give it a b plus a minus still still okay yeah like it was still okay it was good. didn't mind it i didn't mind it exactly so let me go ahead now and we're gonna jump into episode a, a plus episode this Fuck yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like plot or, uh, what's it called um what do you call that when you like spoiler alert yeah this is an a plus episode right Dude, we it just gets <laughs> better and better man like it, it's one of those things i always wait for this show to top itself and it, it, it doesn't like it, it, i mean i always wait for this show to level off and then it tops itself it just kills it every time take it away jay nelly this is your show my man mando is your thing uh let's let's give it the credit it deserves so take it away brother you got it man so we'll go ahead and start right off with boba fett this is like mandalorian season two episode eight uh, it starts off with boba fett shooting at dr pershing ship in space now if you guys remember who that doctor was you know, a few episodes back, and like I think we covered this last week. Remember when we we got onto the uh, the Imperial base with on Navarro with Cara Dune and Grief Karga and like the the blue guy, right? Uh, what we saw on there, and Chase and I talked about, was like this laboratory with these things that we saw inside of it, and we had that transmission from Doctor Pershing. So we got him making his reappearance here in Episode Eight. So uh, they're having this shootout with Dr. Pershing ship in space, and Boba hits them with an ion cannon, and it basically paralyzes the Dr. ship. So they, they board the Dr. ship pirate style, and Mando enters the cockpit and holds the three of them at gunpoint. Mando asks them where Grogu is, and Dr. Pershing tells him that it's on Mo- he's on Moff Gideon's cruiser. Then like one of the pilots turns on the other one. They're about to give themselves up, but that one pilot turned on the other one, shoots him in the back, killing him, and then puts the gun to the doctor's head, holding him like in a hostage-style situation. Uh, and the pilot kind of, at that point, Cara Dune has joined Mando in the cockpit. And the pilot goads Cara Dune by talking shit about what happened on Alderaan. And remember, that's exactly why she joined the New Republic, because of what happened on Alderaan with her. And how the galaxy cheered for what happened on Alderaan. And so very similar to like last episode where you know Van Halen almost, or Van, Valen Hess almost you know, pushed... Mayfeld into shooting him there without realizing it. This person did it on purpose, knowing that you know she was going to lose it. But I think the pilot's hope was that she was going to miss with her shot and like kill the doctor in you know while trying to kill him. But she actually shoots while the pilot's holding the doctor, and and he was holding him really close to him. It was a pinpoint accuracy shot, killing the second pilot. And so now they've got the doctor hostage. Mando and Cara Dune have the doctor with them. We kind of go back to where uh, Mando and Boba Fett fly into Trask, back to the old pub or that inn, and where this is where they found Bo-Katan the first time. They say they find Bo-Katan and uh, the other Mandalorian, her name was Koska. Uh, uh, this is from episode three, and they ask him for help in getting the child back. 
and we start to see like a little shit talking between Boba Fett and Co- and Casca, you know, going back and forth about you know talking shit that he's not a Mandalorian. But Boba Fett, if you guys remember, especially for the old heads that really enjoyed the original trilogy, Boba Fett's a badass bounty hunter. Like, he's no pushover. Like, he may not be a Mandalorian, but you're not just going to, like, talk this stuff and nothing's going to happen. So we kind of have this really cool badass fight scene where each of them kind of get the better of each other a little bit. And then it kind of ends in a stalemate when they both start shooting their flamethrowers at each other there. I thought it was pretty cool. And then they stop that little fight. Again, that was Boba Fett and Casca, but... Uh, they, they Bo-Katan and Mando get him to kind of to chill out and stop, and they agree to help with the condition, and this is really important here, that if they do help and get the child back, that Bo-Katan gets Moff Gideon's cruiser and the dark saber. And Mando doesn't give a fuck. He agrees. He's like, yeah, whatever you want. Like, I just need the child. You can take the whole thing. So the doctor, person that they took captive, gives up all the information and talk, start talking about and learning a little bit more about the dark troopers. So we learned that the dark troopers that we saw that took the child captive, they're actually droids. There's no humans inside the suits. He said that the, the last weakness of stormtroopers was the fact that there was humans inside of them. And that was like the failability. Now with these dark troopers, they're full-blown droids. And we learned that the dark troopers are in cold storage in the cargo bay, and they take a few minutes to power up, which is going to come into really big play here later on. And so this is what the plan is. Phase 1, the Lambda shuttle issues a distress call. Phase 2, they emergency land at the mouth of the fighter launch tube, cutting off any potential interceptors. And that's when Koska, Fennec, Caradun, and Bo-Katan will disembark with maximum initiative. And once they've neutralized the launch bay, they're going to make their way through the tandem decks in a penetration maneuver. So basically what all of that means is they're going to be a, a distraction and a misdirection. So once they draw the crowd to them, Mando himself can kind of slip in through the shadows and get to Grogu without any sort of opposition. That's what the plan is. And so... On the way to Moff Gideon's cruiser, Bo-Katan tells the crew that Moff Gideon is hers. To which Cara Dune tells Bo-Katan that, hey, we need him alive. And Bo-Katan says back to her, I don't care what happens to him as long as he surrenders to me. And we don't really think too much of it, especially the first time you watch it. You might not think that's a big line, but that's really important that she needs Moff Gideon to surrender to her. And that's going to be a huge, like I said, a huge foreshadow for what's going to come later on in this episode. So they approach Moff Gideon's cruiser and they put the plan into action with requesting an emergency dock for Dr. Pershing's ship as Boba Fett is fake shooting at them. And Moff Gideon, instead of allowing them to board, he orders the, the launch of TIE fighters in response to try and take down Boba Fett's ship, but also not let the doctor's ship land at the launch tube. He does, cause like, he does not take any chances. He's like, yo, we've got this child, I don't know what's going on here. Like, yes, that's the doctor's ship, but I'm not taking any chances. We're just going to have these TIE fighters blow up this... this uh, this ship that ends up being Boba Fett's ship. He doesn't know it's Boba Fett, though. But, you know, so I thought it was pretty cool that he was trying to do the smart thing and not let them land. But anyways, the TIE Fires are deployed, and, and Bo-Katan lands the Doctor ship in the launch tube anyways at the direct contradiction of Gideon's orders. And so on the outside, I thought it was pretty cool. Boba Fett makes really quick work of the TIE Fighters that were, you know, coming after him. He's just a fantastic pilot, destroys them all, no problem. Then the crew disembarks off the doctor's ship, and they start mowing down the stormtroopers on Gideon's cruiser. That's when Gideon gives the order to activate the dark troopers. So we've got Fennec, Koska, Cara Dune, and Bo-Katan. They're doing their part in taking out Moth Gideon's crew of stormtroopers and drawing the attention, while Mando is slipping undetected throughout the cruiser looking for Grogu. Now the dark troopers, they end up being activated, and they're ready for motherfucking battle. 
And Mando, you start to see, like, they, they, they have the door open and they're starting to march towards that door. Mando comes in and he, he jabs that thing into it and, and tries to shut the door and close them out. But one of the dark troopers gets through. So Mando and the dark trooper, they go one on one. And we immediately see the difference between dark troopers and stormtroopers as Mando's blaster does absolutely nothing to the dark trooper. And the dark trooper really does start whooping Mando's ass. Finally, Mando is able to put the Beskar spear through the neck of the dark trooper, defeating it. And then runs to the cargo bay doors and slams on that one button that sucks the cargo bay doors open and the dark troopers are now like like are shooted into space like they're sucked out of the cargo bay and they fly into space and so basically they're no longer a threat now the rest of the crew they get to the command center of the cruiser they take out the remaining members and take control of the ship but moff gideon isn't there so then we get a cutscene back to Mando and he takes out two guards in front of Grogu's chamber and opens up the doors and we see Moff Gideon with the Darksaber out held above Grogu's head. At that point, Moff Gideon tells Mando that the Darksaber used to belong to Bo-Katan and that she wants it back. So we're still kind of flying across this foreshadow thing here of this Darksaber, this pass with it between Moff Gideon and Bo-Katan and what's going on. You know, it's another like allusion to a foreshadow that's going to come full circle and not too far from now. Uh, so Moff Gideon tells Mando that the Darksaber brings power and that whoever wields it has the right to lay claim to the Mandalorian throne. And now we're starting to see a little bit more about what, how, how this is going to come up as a conflict later on. Now Moff Gideon tells Mando that he got what he needed from Grogu, which was his blood, and that he wanted to study Grogu's blood because Grogu is extremely gifted and has been blessed with rare properties that have the potential to bring order back to the galaxy. And to me, it in a way kind of reminded me of what Obi-Wan said to Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> Remember when he's like, you were supposed to bring balance to the Force, not leave it in darkness? So I thought that was very similar to that, um, talking about how Grogu has the potential to bring order back to the galaxy. Uh, from there, Man Moff Gideon tells Mando just to take the child and leave the ship. He's like, you, you know what? Take him, you can go, and that's it. But it's a motherfucking trap, and Dirty Gideon draws a dark saber while Mando's back is turned, and he started attacking him. And it's a good thing that sabers can't cut through pure Beskar, or we'd even toast right there. So now we have this really cool, badass one on one fight between Mando and Moff Gideon, and you know, the Beskar spear versus the dark saber. And Mando's finally able to disarm Gideon, gets the best of him, and holds him at spear point, like dead to rights. And at this point, Moff Gideon looks at him and says, You're sparing my life? Well, this should be interesting. Again, that's a bit of a foreshadow, too. So Mando brings Gideon to the control center of the ship in the shackles that were holding Grogu. He now has them on Moff Gideon, and Mando himself is holding the Darksaber. And not surprising, Bo-Katan seems pissed. Gideon tells her, Why don't you kill him now and take it? And there was just a random like sentence that he said there. It made sense to Bo-Katan, but to the rest of us watching, we're like, what is he talking about? And then we get the full circle moment, and we learn that the Darksaber belongs to Mando now because it must be won in battle. And in order for Bo-Katan to wield it again, she would have to defeat Mando in combat. And without the Darksaber, she would be a pretender to the throne of Mandalore. So that's that big full circle moment of why in the very beginning she said Moff Gideon's mine. I don't care what happens to him. He has to submit to me. Or if Moff Gideon's like, oh, Bo-Katan wants this back. Oh, you're leaving me alive. Oh, this should be interesting. Like this is that full circle moment where we learn why it's so important that Bo-Katan 
wanted to defeat Moff Gideon one-on-one. -on -one. Now we have this alarm go off and it breaks up this moment and the dark troopers that Mando had ejected from the ship back in the cargo bay, they actually are flying back and reboarding the cruiser. Because remember, they're droids. They're not just regular humans inside stormtrooper armor. It's droids that are dressed up as the dark troopers there. So they are flying back. The the um, space suck didn't kill them, right? There's no The, the lack of oxygen doesn't kill them because they're droids. They're not humans. Now, Cara Dune tosses Moff to the ground. But he's a little bit close to a little blaster that's laying there from the people they took out earlier. And he puts his cloak over it. And that's going to come up to play in a little bit, too. So Mando puts Grogu in a safe place. And Grogu looks like he's dozing off to sleep. But it's actually a foreshadow of what's about to come. He's maybe reaching out to something or someone. Uh, the Dark Troopers are now at the sealed control room door. And they're attempting to punch it down to get to the crew, right? And it's interesting because it, it's like nonstop. Because again, as we mentioned, they're not humans in there. It's just droids. They're punching this huge steel, I would say probably six inches of steel door. And, you know, hitting it enough times where it's starting to dent. And it's starting to break. And it's starting to, you know, we're getting to this point where Mando had hard enough time with one dark trooper. Now we've got a whole platoon of them against, I don't know, four or five people. It's... It could get a little dicey. But then, another alarm goes off, and we see an X-Wing approach. And Cara Dune sarcastically says, One X-Wing? Great. We're saved. And it's kind of funny. Like, actually, if you knew Cara Dune, yeah, I would say so. Uh, but then the X-Wing enters the <laughs> launch tube and boards the cruiser. And as it lands, Grogu seems to, like, quote-unquote, wake up and be more alert again. So it's like, Something happened there. Something's going on. And then we see a figure in a cloak walk aboard and pull out a lightsaber and start fucking the dark troopers up. And he's a Jedi with a green lightsaber. Motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck <so> yeah, <laughs> baby. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. At that point, Gideon pulls out the blaster as he starts seeing on the screen like this Jedi just walking through these dark troopers like a hot knife through butter. And he pulls out the blaster he fell on, he starts unloading on Bo-Katan, and she falls down, and Gideon aims at Grogu and starts shooting, but Mando dives in front of Grogu and takes the blaster shots on the armor to you know save Grogu's life there. So the crew surrounds Gideon, and he attempts to take his own life, but Cara Dune knocks the gun out of his hands before he can pull the trigger and ends up hitting him and knocking him down. So that was kind of cool, too. Most of the time in this kind of situation, the bad guy is able to kill himself, so he wasn't able to get any information, but he was, she was able to stop him from doing that, so I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Um, and it cuts back to the Jedi walk, like walking through all of these dark troopers, cutting them down left and right, and at this point, you kind of lose count of how many he took out all alone by himself, and it's impressive, you know, especially that we saw Mando had such a hard time with one. This Jedi, at this point, probably already had taken seven to eight out just between the time he walked aboard to where we are in this specific moment. By the time it's all done, you know, he you know, will have taken out a lot more than that all alone, by himself, with a mixture of using the, the lightsaber and the force. We get to see some really cool force action here, too. So we get to this like the last dark trooper, and for me, this is when I kind of knew, because I saw a really familiar glove when he put it out and like force-crushed the last dark trooper. I was like, oh, I think I have an idea now. And Mando tells <laughs> them to open the doors so let the Jedi in. And they're kind of like, no, are you kidding me? Like, you just saw what he could do to those dark troopers. We're not ready to take that on. But, you know, Mando kind of trusts Grogu's instinct. And, you know, he lets the, tells them to open the door. They finally open the door. The smoke clears. The Jedi takes the hood down. 
and it's Luke motherfucking Skywalker. Let's go! Let's go! Hell yeah, baby. Taking it back. We can bring it back. <laughs> you know how amazing that must have been for the people who were old enough to watch the original Star Wars really in theaters to see? Because if you guys, it's not just the Luke Skywalker that we see in the new trilogy where he's old, got the beard. No, this is like the original Luke Skywalker looks just like he did back in the 1970s. It was amazing the CGI effects that they put through for this to make it look just like the Luke Skywalker we saw in the original trilogy, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. It was so impressive. That was really, really cool. Anyways, now to get back to the episode, Luke looks at Grogu and says, Come, little one. And Grogu kind of looks a little nervous and looks more towards Mando. And Mando's like, He doesn't want to go with you. And Luke replies, He wants your permission. He is strong with the Force, but talent without training is nothing. I will give my life to protect the child, but he will not be safe until he masters his abilities. And at that point, Mando picks up Grogu and says, Hey, go on. That's who you belong with. He's one of your kind. I'll see you again. I promise. And once again, that we talked about for episode 7 that we finished up earlier in this episode, Mando takes off his helmet. Again, it's supposed to be a huge no-no for like the ancient way and the creed that he follows. And this time, it wasn't even in a, an emergency situation. He just did it because he wanted to see Grogu's. Like, he wanted Grogu to see his face and know who it was who has been protecting him this whole time, who he's been on like all these adventures with this whole time. So he takes off his helmet to get a look at Grogu face to face before giving him to Luke. And Mando says, "All right, pal, it's time to go. Don't be afraid." And we think all the surprises are done. But no, then fucking R2-D2 comes in the room, and like, out of nowhere, like, whoa, shit, Epic. like, R2's back, another badass moment, and R2 and Grogu seem to like each other, like, all the, you see him, like, vibrate with excitement talking about R2, and Grogu, like, doing his, like, little baby happy voice thing, it was, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, but then Luke picks up Grogu, looks back and says, may the force be with you, and he walks out. The elevator doors close, and that's the episode and the season, except it's not because there's after credits that we have to jump into as well. So on the after credits, we get to the planet and we see Bib Fortuna. And if you guys remember who Bib Fortuna is, he was the right-hand man of Jabba the Hutt in Empire Strikes Back. And so he looks a little bit different now. Obviously, like the modern times have changed his appearance, but you know exactly who it is. And he's sitting on the throne enjoying his time. And all of a sudden, some shooting starts, and men start to fall around him, and some, like, scurry out of the room. And we see Fennec Shan coming down the stairs with her gun in her hand. And she also looks at, like, the blue slave that he had and shoots the blue slave free, is what uh, Fennec does. And tells, you know, kind of gives her like, the nod motion to get the hell out of there. And that's when, uh, followed by Fennec Shan coming down the stairs, we get Boba Fett. And Bib Fortuna and Boba Fett are face-to-face -face for the first time in however many years from Empire Strikes Back. And this is huge for OG Star Wars fans. Like, having Bib Fortuna and Boba Fett looking at each other, you know, Bib Fortuna on the throne, looking down at, at uh, Boba Fett, Boba Fett looking up at him. And Bib Fortuna says, Boba, I thought you were dead. I'm so glad to see you. I had heard many rumors. And Boba Fett doesn't even say a single word. Just shoots the blaster right into Bib Fortuna's chest, killing him. And Boba throws Fortuna's body off the throne, sits on it himself with Fennec Shan on his right-hand side, 
And that's how the after credits cut off. And directly after it says, The Book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. Let's go, baby! Let's go! Fuck yeah! Dude. Fucking slay. It was awesome. What a slay fest. What a wild episode. Everything kind of coming together like that. And even at the end, too, with the after credits. Now we have got another show that Chase and I are going to have to cover down the road, too. Just another branch off there. Just so many great things happen. This was by far the best Mandalorian episode there's been to date. And so with that being said, I kind of want to get our thoughts on episode 8 of season 2 here with the Mandalorian. So I'll turn it over to Chase and let him give his thoughts on it. I'll give mine and we're going to jump into the cool stuff that we like to do with debates and you know where we think it's going to go in the future and all that great stuff. This episode was the cream of the crop, man. <laughs> like This was the cream of the crop. Uh, you had everything even starting off with that badass fight scene between Moff Gideon and and I call him over and motherfucking Martell Mando himself, which just was kind of a little bit of a little tribute to Oberon Martell right here, because I haven't seen fucking Pedro Pascal use a damn spear since Game of Fucking Thrones, baby. Fuck yeah! It was badass. Fucking handled himself. He won that shit. Now you have all these secrets that we want to know about with the dark saber. Makes me ask a bunch more questions like, what is the previous history with the Mandalore and this Darksaber? And what real threat did it really pose against the Jedi or or whoever they fought against, right? And then you had to the point of, it it goes back into this whole full circle moment uh, of how we had that foreshadowing of in the beginning of today's episode, you know how... uh, Mephil, Mephi, whatever his name is. What's the guy's name? Mephild, Mephi, Mephild, the prisoner that I was talking about. Mayfeld, Mayfeld, Mayfeld. I was going Mayfield. Yeah, Mayfeld was saying, you know, you got to change the rules when things get messy. But even at that point, uh, it, it kind of is a full circle for that because in the end, um, you know, Mando changed the rules for Grogu because he's been so attached to this kid for so long. Uh, removes his helmet. Um, fuckers removed his helmet like 10 damn times. <laughs> I think it's three, but whatever, man. So he, he removes it again just so he remembers his face. And honestly, in my personal opinion, I wouldn't have been comfortable with Grogu going with anyone else besides the real OG this guy is the toby mcguire of star wars (laughs) he is luke skywalker mark hamill and it it was so uh a feeling of coming back home too when you saw it was you know luke skywalker's voice mark hamill mixed with the old cgi the original luke we grew up with just like it was it felt like it hadn't been a day uh since rdj return of the jedi um rtj uh, <laughs> i would say not rdj i was thinking rbj for a minute from like iron man <laughs> no uh, return of the jedi and uh, it, it was so great just like you said the minute i saw the glove honestly in my opinion like it wasn't even that for me it was the minute he had the green lightsaber when was the fucking last time we saw a green lightsaber and i looked at the handle and knew exactly <laughs> what that was and uh, all the memories came back. Um, it, in a way, it was bittersweet for me because, honestly, in my opinion, 
uh, Mando has become one of my favorite characters out of this entire mainstream franchise just because of the relationship he has with Grogu and we've seen the lengths he's gone to to protect the child. Um, and it was bittersweet for me because I didn't want that journey to end for the time being for them. Who knows if it'll come back in the future? Who knows? But I wouldn't have been comfortable with him going with anyone else besides the real OG <laughs> uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker, uh, just the way he was back in the 70s and 80s, um, and R2-D2. Uh, you know, R2, I will say, my personal... He's been my personal favorite droid even since I was the time of literally saw the movies when I was like three and four years old and my dad and uncle were like, you're watching this. Like, you're like this is a requirement if you're, if you're going to be in our house. <laughs> so, and what about you, man? I, I thought this, this episode did it all for me. It was perfect. Yeah, my thoughts are a lot aligned with what you, a lot of what you said there. You know, we, we got the whole them becoming the pirates of the ship and trying to take over Moff Gideon's cruiser. We get to see the dark troopers in action. Like we saw, we saw them fly down and take the child back in episode six of season two here. But like that, we didn't get to really see them in action. We get to see how badass and how different dark troopers are than stormtroopers. So it was something new that we got to see. Like I said, we've always said this a million times, and I don't want to like overstate it enough though. That Mandalorian does a great job. This show of you know, showing and introducing new things and bringing things back from the past to entice both new viewers and the people who have been fans of it for the longest time since it came out in the 70s. So I thought that was great. We got to see like what dark troopers are really able to do, what they're capable of. Mandal like like Din Djarin Mando, he barely was able to defeat the one one on one. Like he used all his like guns and blasters and the shit just flew off of it with no issue. Then, like you said, we got a really cool one-on-one -on -one with Moff Gideon and Mando there with, like, the Beskar versus the Darksaber. I even got started to see, like, how cool it was, though, when they were kind of, like, locked up with the their respective weapons against each other, how the Darksaber still made the Beskar spear glow really red hot. Even though you can really Absolutely. see the, like, what is able to be done by this Darksaber and how great Beskar really is, you know, and... But we got to see that when you're fighting for something that's bigger than yourself, you usually come out on top there. And he was able to defeat Moff Gideon one-on-one uh, -on -one with the, with uh, his spear versus, you know, and he was able to disarm him, knock the whole Darksaber out and hold him there. And now we got this whole thing coming up is like, what's this next big conflict going to be now that we know that Mando, he tried to just hand the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and she couldn't take it like that. So now, you know, mm -hmm. Bo-Katan, her whole arc has been seemingly to rule Mandalore again, bring Mandalore back to prominence and, you know, sit on the throne of Mandalore. And now we've got this weird thing where, like, Mando doesn't want it. He was willing to give it to her, but she can't accept it like that. So it's like now, you know, we're going to see a little bit more of a, of a friction, more than a friendship, I think, between Bo-Katan and, and Mando here. So, And then, obviously, the big, the big reveal, Luke Skywalker coming back into play and dragging Grogu off to go train him there. And him just walking through the dark troopers like i said like a hot knife through butter then none of them gave him a single problem like that was amazing and really to show <laughs> there's levels to this jedi shit right and you know and luke skywalker's at the top of the top right now so that was really really cool the whole episode in a nutshell was the best mandalorian episode that we have seen to date i'm excited to where it goes from there and that's just kind of my takeaways of this show you know if i'm going to give it like a, a ranking in terms of like a a to f grade rank it's this was an a plus plus right like there's there's no there's no a way plus around plus. it there's not yeah. there's nothing that you could really say that would 
changed my mind. You know, if you try to nitpick anything, I don't even know what you could really nitpick on it. Like, it was really well done overall right. and really brought back again, showed new things and brought back old things. And we get fucking Luke Skywalker back on the screen. Like, that's crazy, man. So, yeah, that's what my takeaways were from this last episode here, uh, season two, episode eight of Mandalorian. Now we kind of move into a little bit of the debates that you and I had there. So I'm going to let you go ahead and start. What debates do you have for Mandalorian for the two episodes we covered today, episode seven and episode eight of season two? Definitely. One thing I do want to say on the side, which was really amazing, was one thing if you notice, if you're big Luke Skywalker fans like um, Jay Nelly and I are, is when he entered, by the way, too, you saw his style. And I, I think that was so cool because uh, if you really pay attention back to Return of the Jedi and um, Empire Strikes Back after Luke's been trained by Obi-Wan, you really kind of see, I thought the director did a really great job at directing, or the choreographer, I guess, directing the choreography here, because even, you might not have picked up on it, but one where he like chops down, he does like a chop, like chopping off one of the dark troopers' um, like arms. And it was very similar to when in Return of the Jedi, he was chopping off like Vader's arm. So it was very hard to like pick up on that. But just even the style of a Jedi, it, it was very unique. And that's why I love like a very unique um, where I feel like, I mean, I think Ahsoka was great, but you could even tell the difference between Ahsoka's style and Luke's when he entered uh, entered the um, light cruiser there on his X-Wing, and I, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, as far as debates go, uh, getting into that, first debate I have is, because we're really at a really critical point now with the Mandalorian franchise, uh, even not as Star Wars as a whole, because kind of the whole idea it was built around starting in the beginning was the relationship between Mando and Grogu, the child. And now you have Grogu going with Luke. So my big debate for us, for this first one, I will say, I got two, for this first one is, do you think Grogu is going to be back in the Mandalorian at all? Will we see Luke Skywalker again? Uh, is, is this going to be more focused now on Mando and Bo-Katan's relationship going into Mandalorian season three. What's your thoughts on that? You know what's really funny, dude? That's the exact same debate I had here to talk to you about. <laughs> and what, what people need to realize, like people are listening to this episode, Chase and I never give each other our debates before we start our show at all. Like we, we wanted to surprise each other, try to throw each other off a little bit to see you can kind of you know think on their feet the fastest. And like it's just really funny that how this came out. Like that was my like debate exactly. <laughs> like I'll even read off what mine was. So you guys can see how like similar it was. I said, "Do you think that the show now pivots from the mystery of the child and where the child goes from here, and basically refocuses on the Mandalorian specific side of things now that Bo-Katan has been introduced, or do you think it continues on as is and the child comes back after training, and we get them taking on the bad guys that they that want to bring the Empire back?" Right, so it's kind of the Perfect. same sort of deal. Like, like, like the same question is like, where does the Mandalorian go from here? Well, to, to give my answer to that part of the debate, I honestly think like 
it refocuses more on the Mandalorian side of things, specifically. Like, number one, the title name is The Mandalorian, not The Jedi, not Grogu, not The Child, right. not Luke, right? Like, this this show is called The Mandalorian, so eventually we were going to need to figure out, you know, what's going on on the Mandalorian side of things. This is what the whole thing was created for. So my my answer is that... Grogu probably breaks off into his own show. Like, very similar to how Boba Fett does, like, the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. I'm, I'm very... I'd be surprised if they didn't show it. And maybe maybe we don't get the show. Maybe we just have the thought in the back of our head that Grogu's there with Luke. I'm hoping that they do a show and show Grogu going through the training with Luke and all that. I think that'd be amazing to see. But I also think that they're going to do something very similar to kind of, you know... This is more so another work that we're not probably not going to cover, but you know the Green Arrow, the Netflix series, the Green Arrow, and how also the Netflix series, the Flash, they do like combos sometimes where they like you know they put each other in each other's episodes. I think it may be something like that where like this specific show, The Mandalorian, is going to more focus on bringing Mandalore back to prominence, figuring out who's going to rule the the throne of Mandalore, the dark sabers, like history, how it's all going to come together. Like I'm assuming that's where this show is going to go. But I would be very shocked if it didn't do like a Green Arrow Flash thing where Grogu comes back every once in a while and, you know, makes his appearance and, and they have some reunions every one, like, you know, I don't know, once every season or once every two seasons or something like that just to keep it fresh, give that, that nostalgia that we had with the, all their time together that they have had between season one and season two. So that's my thought process on it is that this show is going to go more towards the Mandalorian side of things and figuring out, you know, between the conflict of Bo-Katan and Mando here, Dinjarin, and where that's going to go to bringing Mandalore back to prominence versus, you know, Grogu just getting trained by Luke, getting put back into Mando's custody, or now they're friends and fighting down, you know, the remnants of the Empire. So that's what I think, man. I'll turn it over to you. What do you think? Yeah, I think as much as I don't want this to be the case, and it would be badass, like, seeing... Grogu come back like after all this training with Luke and you still see maybe some glimpses or cameos of Luke fucking Skywalker in there man that brings back all the memories I think you're right I think you're right um I don't I think what's wild about this show right like I think this was originally like giving this show in plot very much structure based around uh, epic journey um and that was a big piece of the epic journey for mando and and i think it really took directors directors by surprise when they did it on how much people latched on to the child because they always thought in my opinion you disagree with me if i'm wrong leave it in the comments we love your comments, even if you think we're pieces of shit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> luckily, luckily, cross our fingers, no one's ever done that. <laughs> so, but I don't think the directors ever thought Grogu would really become as big as he did. Like, there's some people that look at Mandalorian and they just think Grogu, Grogu, Grogu. They don't even half think about Mando. Like, they just think the child, you know, he's everywhere in fucking merchandise around this. I don't know anyone hasn't heard of baby yoda as they've been calling him even if you'd never watched the damn show you just think of baby yoda and that's what they know him as right for like the first season that's what they assumed he was and i don't think that was originally 
the director's intention. I think it was more to remember when we first started. Uh, go back a year ago. Go check out our real OG episodes in season one where we were talking about Mando. And our questions were, we want to know more about the creeds. We want to know more about the past there and their rivalry with the Jedi and, and how this kind of uh, development occurred uh, through the timeline and, and now that uh, their past Return of the Jedi and how they're kind of branching more into it was leading up to the whole the Force Awakens timeline there and the gap at that point. I think you're right. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more of Bo-Katan in that. Honestly, in my opinion, I think they're going to probably get I think there's a rivalry with them now, but I think something's going to come not like a physical relationship like Danny and John, but you can kind of see like that rivalry there. But I think it's going to almost become an alliance at some point. And I think it's going to be more about uh, the traditional a Mando, a Mandalorian, Mandalore, or and the new Mandalore, and they're gonna kind of start creating this new, I guess you can call it the new order to be cliche, like the Mandalore new order. So I think it's gonna be more of that. I hope, uh, you know, I I prayed in the man upstairs. I hope that we see some cameos or something of Grogu because. I would probably cry myself to sleep at night, and I'm not a crier, <laughs> but uh, because he is just that awesome. Uh, but I'm happy to see where it goes. Uh, I mean, I've been intrigued since episode one when we didn't even really know much about the child at all. Uh, I mean, the first episode, we barely saw him at the very end, and that's of season one, I mean, episode so and then my next debate for you well, before, before I turn it over to you before oh, you, I'm sorry yeah you... before you do your second debate there I just want to like bring this up as well like I do think that they had an idea that Grogu was going to be a big aspect of this show but I think they had it in their plan that it was going to end up breaking off and doing something else because like what it's doing and this is what this is just my thoughts like this is not confirmed this is not something that anyone's told me or I've seen on internet or anything like that my thought process is like we already know that the Mandalorian and the Jedi are like great arch enemies, right? They are they are in the mm-hmm. opposite field of everything. So, I think what's going to end up happening, and it just makes sense in my head if, as I'm connecting the dots, right? Is that our Mandalorian, Din Djarin, he hasn't had negative experiences with Jedi. He he teamed up with Ahsoka Tano right. to take over the city of Caladon on the planet Corvus. And then from there, he's been trying to get Grogu to the other Jedi who was going to train him. So he knows that Grogu is going to be a Jedi. He's seen that Grogu use the Force to do stuff. So he doesn't have any negative, real interactions with these Jedis, even though, historically, the Mandalorian and Jedis are constantly, like, each other's heated rival. And, like, they, you know, like they kill each other and, and are constantly at war. My thought process is, and what I think is going to happen, is that they want everything to cohesively fit and come together. So ideally, you know, I think their thought process is, you know, Grogu is going to be that one key that brings both the Jedi and the Mandalorian together. Realistically, Din Djarin probably is going to accidentally, even though he doesn't want to, end up on the throne of Mandalore. And then they're going to have the Jedi who are constantly, again, at war with each other. But because Din Djarin has this great relationship with Grogu, kind of has an idea that the Jedi aren't all bad that they'll at least live in peace, you know, if not, like, if they don't like each other, fine. 
but I don't think it's going to be like a constant war like it's been in the past in the history here because we've got this key being Grogu as like the middleman between Din Djarin and the Jedi because Din Djarin protected him for so long up until this point. Now he's being taken over by the Jedi to be trained as a Jedi. And so when all of these orders come back to prominence talking about the Jedi and the Mandalorian, I think they'll be able to like live together cohesively if not you know they don't have to like each other but i don't believe it's going to be a huge conflict now between the mandalorian and jedi just because grogu is that is that key between the both of them so that's what i think they had went there with it i think that's why he ended up becoming as big as he is is because number one we all know how important yoda is to the show right not to, not to the show but like the, the franchise my apologies we all know right. how important yoda is to the franchise and this is like a spitting image of him just you know, 850 years younger, right? So, exactly. So like, we, we have an idea that, that, that Grogu's probably going to be important in some way, shape, or form. So I don't think it's something that they just put together and was like, oh, I can't believe this thing took off the way it did. No, I think they had an idea that he's going to be important to the series and where it goes from here. I think that's, that's where they're leading for is Grogu being the key to, to peace between the Jedi and the Mandalorian, if that makes sense. So that's all I wanted to say to, to close out that debate. I'll let you go ahead and push to your second, second debate out now. No, absolutely. I think that's great. That's an excellent point you made. Uh, my other debate, it, it really kind of coincides with this. It's because we saw how Luke kicked their ass. Like he, so the dark troopers, right? There was like what fifty of them, and he just beat their ass. Like it was no contest. Like beat their ass. You have Mando, Ninjaran is struggling against one yeah he defeated it but like it was kind of like you get a d in my opinion i'm like how you defeated that luke gets a fucking a it was no contest and then give you a d like you pass you beat one but you also barely beat it like it was kicking your ass against the wall like good job but all right so my question is now that mando has the dark saber I want to know, like, we, you know, we've had this past with them that we've learned about, how they've been rivals with Jedi all these years. So you would think they would have won something against Jedi. Can the Darksaber hold its own against a lightsaber? How does a Mandalorian, how does a Mandalorian army compete with a Jedi army? I don't even see a contest there. So what's your thoughts on this? Like, can a Darksaber stand up to a lightsaber if we're just talking about the dark saber and lightsaber i think they're very similar properties and i think that yeah it, it makes it an even playing field but there's only one dark saber right or at least as of right now that's been introduced right. we've seen multiple lightsabers in the mandalorian alone we've seen ahsoka tano wield two and we've seen luke skywalker with his green one so you know i don't really know if there's any more dark sabers that are lurking out there anyways but in terms of that first question yeah, I believe that a dark saber has very similar physical properties to a lightsaber, and the battle between the, those two weapons is very equal. Now, in terms of why, like Mandalore, the Mandalorians could have possibly given the Jedi's problem in the wars that they've had over the years. Jedi usually fight to a certain code; they're very honorable in the way that they fight, and I feel like the Mandalorians are kind of like bounty hunters in a way that they've just got to figure out a way to get it done. So they'll fight dirty; they'll like jump you ten on one; they'll figure out ways to do. Like I just think. <laughs> Maybe they're more schematic and more, like, dangerous in the way that they, they're not held by any sort of rules. Like, the Jedi have to fight with a certain level of honor and you know, a certain code that they have. Where the Mandalorians, their code is for their own people, but they'll do what they need to do to, to survive, right? So I think it's they're more, like, 
diabolical in their plans and they'll they're more ruthless and they're more they don't they don't have a structure or a code that they live by so they can you know attack you while you're sleeping they can you know you kill you like you know what i'm saying like they're not going to meet you in battle head on because it's going to be dumb for them that's not going to work well right so i think that the reason why it's such such a heavy conflict between the two is because they they can use dirty tactics like secret maneuvers and stuff that the Jedi either don't think of or won't resort to because they have a code that they have to live by. So that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, my, I think I thought you think you brought up a really good point on that because that was something I wasn't even thinking of, like the fact of you, you know they're bounty hunters. That's really fucked up <laughs> that they would. But whatever, there's no, everyone knows there's no rules in a fight sorry like there there's not like if you want rules in a fight go watch boxing like that's all i can say but yeah no that's true and i think another thing too they're overlooking is like the flamethrowers and some of the stuff like that like i don't think it's that threatening but remember uh for instance mace windu was hit with a flamethrower back in attack of the clones shout out to attack of the clones you know that's one of my favorite i get a lot of heat for that one love attack of the clones baby it's one of the best ever made (laughs) one of the best ever made fuck yeah but uh no i have to agree i think i think i think it's kind of like let's go back to like the american revolution right like whether not saying this is dirty or whatever but like remember the british in history at least this is how we're told they have this massive army, but they would just fight kind of in, you know, in a row, whereas, and they would just walk towards people with these red coats, whereas you had, like, the American soldiers would, like, hide out in trees and shit. I think maybe it's kind of like that. Like, maybe it's kind of like they just use their tactics and also keep, like, not that the Jedi don't have inside information as well, but, I mean, you can kind of... You know, I think it goes into a lot of like betrayals as well. Uh, it just like how we saw Mayfeld, um, you know, he was a prisoner there. Like maybe it goes into a lot of, uh, you know, you got rats, <laughs> rats and mazes and stuff. Uh, so, I mean, it, I think that's kind of how it's going to be interesting to see, though. But as opposed for the question of a dark saber holds its own against a lightsaber, I don't know, man. Like, lightsabers are. Powered by kyber crystals. We have no fucking idea what this Darksaber is powered by. I think if it can hold its own... I feel like the only way Mandalorians can hold their own against Jedi is if you had, like, a shitload of those things. So that's a question I have for you. Do you think we're going to find more of those as we get farther into these seasons of Mandalorian? If we do, it's only going to be, like, another one or two of them. I don't think it's going to be readily available. I don't think that they're, like, lightsabers where every single Mandalorian is going to be able to wield one. No. Because that would that would kind of take away from the point that the Darksaber is making in this specific show where the one who wields it holds the mo- throne of Mandalore. Because if everyone's got mm-hmm. a fucking Darksaber, who's the leader of Mandalore? Right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. I think that there's yeah. got to be something special about the Darksaber for a Mandalorian to hold it to where like there can't be so many of them, right? That we might get one or two more, but that's about it. Like I don't think it's going to get to the point where mm-hmm. every single Mandalorian is going to be able to have their own lightsaber or dark saber in this instance, where they can fight the Jedi with their lightsabers one on one, and it's pretty even. Like no, I don't think it's going to be like that. I think the dark saber is something special. There's ideally like you know what these people think right as of right now in terms of them and their universe, the the Mandalorians. There's only one dark saber. 
But I think as the show goes on, we may uncover one or two more. But at max, I don't think there's ever going to be more than three Dark Sabers uh, in play during this series. That's my own opinion. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel like yeah. If, if they, it's just tough for me to imagine because I, I agree with you. But because of the point they're trying to make on how special it is, but. It's just tough to imagine because I feel like a Jedi would just kick all their asses. Like, I mean, you take, I think it's kind of like the whole idea of you take one of our uh, soldiers in modern times against like a hundred Roman gladiators with swords and knives. I'm going to take our soldier with a fucking turret machine gun all day over a hundred of them like sorry <laughs> like, that's just the way it fucking rolls man you sorry unfortunately you were putting that timeline but i'm taking a fucking machine gun all day <laughs> like, that's just the way it is Here, here's my thought on that is like again you're assuming that they're going to meet each other in open field and it's just going to be like a battle of armies okay. like right at each other like i said like i believe that there's going to be like secret tactics they're going to catch jedis off guard when they're sleeping when they're meditating when they're like oh yeah that's like dirty i'm saying like fuck. exactly 100 percent. but the thing is like mm-hmm. they got to survive somehow and so you, you yeah. there's there's codes that you have like, like you said there's no rules in a fight when there comes to survival there are no rules so they got like resort to what they have to resort to fine like i don't think they'll ever be dumb enough to just meet them like army versus army in an open battlefield and just see who wins because obviously the jedi are going to win that they got the force they've got like the training they've got the the lightsabers like it's not going to be a contest if they do it like that obviously but they're not going to be dumb enough to do it like that <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> like they're gonna I, they're gonna I, pick the ones off one by one they're gonna jump them 10 on one they're gonna you know hit you in your sleeve they're gonna hit you in the temple when you're like at meditation like they're gonna do whatever they need to do to to kill you at your weakest they're not gonna fight you at your strongest like they need to survive they know that the jedi are better fighting and better like trained and well organized you know organization overall you know, you've got to resort to what you have to resort to to survive. That's what I think. I don't think it's gonna. Like, I don't think the question would be, you know, what army would win because I think that's simple. But like, I think it's like <laughs> they would never do that. Like they would never just be like, okay, yeah. here's a Jedi army, here's a Mandalorian army. We're just gonna go clash. You know, like you know, clash yeah. of kings there. Like no, it's a hundred percent going to be you know using strategic things to pick them off one by one catch them when they're at their weakest when they're not expecting things like at their weakest moments and stuff like that like i have a i think it'd be a lot more of those type of situations uh versus just an open warfare where it's one army against the other because again not it's not gonna be a contest that's my thought definitely now right before i let you go so i teased this a little bit last episode where i said i might throw three at one time at you and i know we already we always plan debates for the show so that's our two for the show but i am gonna throw a great debate card with two other cards because first i am gonna summon the malice in the chalice card baby and before i tell you the topic i'm gonna summon the tipsy gypsy card oh dirty let's get it filled up Fill it up to the top, to the top. <laughs> dun, All right. dun, dun, well, here dun, you go. Dun. So as I do this here, as you can see, you'll see me. There is going to be no uh, cheating. Chase can see I'm pouring it. You might be able to hear it in the condenser mic that's close to it. I have filled up a mason jar to the top. Chase can attest to it. Take a look at it, brother. Is that full to the top? Yes or no? 
That is full to the top. Right. Let's see you take it so, to the head. 100%. He played the Tipsy Gypsy card, and I don't even get to know the topic, which which is exactly why we do this. We <laughs> try to throw each other off. So, Ooh, my, I have my... Well, listen, I got I got the, the mason jar of wine here. I'm about to throw it down. You can talk whatever you need to talk while I drink this shit down. Give me a countdown, and then do what you got to do from there. But we're going to take Let's this to the it. head. Five, four... Three, two, one. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink. Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh, it's new record time, baby. New record time. It's gotta be close, record- right? Yeah, it's gotta be close. <sighs> Maybe not for you, but it beats beats me, man. It'd take me like another another ten minutes. You gotta give me some time. Nice. Give me some time to. You know, put the backwash in. I got to redrink the backwash because I'm dry heaving <laughs> as I'm down in it. I was a whole turvis full, man. Uh, cheers to you, brother. Cheers. Malice in the Chalice card coming up. Malice in the Chalice. Maybe you can take a little another sip now. How about that? Take a little another sip because hey, it's Malice that's, time. That's the rules. Mm-hmm. That's what we got. We got cards for a reason. In so. the words of uh, one of my favorite villains of all time, those are the rules. <laughs> Those are the rules. Go back to our older episodes if you want to find out what I'm talking about. <laughs> Leave it in the comments. All right. Those let's get this card out of the way. What card do you got? What are you going to play? Well, you know, you got the Malice uh, in the Chalice Malice card. Malice but... in the Chalice, baby. And don't worry. I'm actually going to keep it decently on topic. We're not talking about Mandalorian, but we are talking about Star Wars as a whole. And one thing we've gotten a lot of requests for that people love is our rankings. <laughs> Let's we can bring it back. So, and that's one thing. It is true. Like you know, if you go back to season one, we did rankings on our episode, like on our movies of Star Wars. But one thing we've never done is ranked our Star Wars characters. And uh, as much as you want to say, yeah, we'll do that too. So I want to know your top five favorite Star Wars characters and your top five who you would claim are the most powerful Star Wars characters and, and reasons why they're powerful. It doesn't have to just be like metachlorian counts. It can also be tactics and that sort of different thing. And I want to know both of these, your favorite why and the most powerful why Top five, top five, and it can be out of any of the Star Wars universe. It doesn't have to just be Mandalorian. doesn't have to be the original Star Wars or the prequels. It can be anywhere. Even if you want to pull some shit out of your ass, like it's fucking uh, whatever those Solo. Like one of the weird ones that everyone's like, I guess I gave it a C. Go for it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so go ahead and do it, man. It's all you, and then I'll, I'll try to do the same. Shit, if the favorite ones, like the favorite, we're gonna probably do five because I don't want this to take ten years to do. So uh, that's why I said five on each. Five, yeah, five yeah. on each. Uh, favorites, and this is gonna be all characters included. Man, that's tough. Um, I really liked Qui Gon Jinn. I'm not, I'm not putting. I'm just saying the ones I like right now. So I'm, this isn't number one or anything like that. So, and my favorite, my favorite Star Wars character is probably Yoda. Yoda probably takes the number one spot for me. 
Um, Qui Gon Jinn might take number two. I just I love him. He only was in for a short amount of time, but he was a perfect mixture of still in this prime badass warrior, but also like a teacher and departing his knowledge on to the newer generation. So Yoda number one, Qui Gon Jinn number two, Darth Maul number three. Uh, I, he was only in again for one movie, but he's the one that killed Qui Gon Jinn, who was a Jedi Master, and he fought two Jedi's by himself uh, on Tatooine. It was really cool, and also you also remember you guys remember this in the sand thing before he we had to see the double lightsaber part. He fought just the single lightsaber side against Qui Gon, and Qui Gon had to retreat to the ship. So like, Darth Maul was really cool. So Darth Maul gets my number three spot uh, from like my number four and five in terms of favorite. Mm. That's that's gonna be kind of an interesting one to do because we have to include all of them together. I really enjoy Han Solo just simply because I relate to Han Solo a lot. He doesn't have any powers. He's not very like strong, but he's just he's a great pilot and he doesn't care about shit. He's very like much like the cowboy in the saloon, man. Like you don't want to see him on a <laughs> on a step back and draw your weapon, turn around and fire. Like that's the one thing you don't want to see with him. Like you know, he's just the, the suave guy. All the ladies love him. Like he just he he is a character that shouldn't have been a main focal point, but ended up becoming one because of just who he is. And so Han Solo will probably catch my number four spot. My number five would go to Obi-Wan Kenobi because we've seen him in a couple facets. We got to see him in his prime against Darth Maul, against the, the, the Attack of the Clones, and also against General Grievous and Anakin Skywalker all by himself. And then we get to see him again fight Darth Vader one-on-one in the New Hope, right? Like, we get a lot of Obi-Wan across the years, and he's done so much for the Jedi Order and bringing balance as much as he could with the, you know his limited potential, I uh, I just yeah I really think that I would put it in orders again. Talking number one Yoda, number two Qui Gon, number three Darth Maul, number four Han Solo, number five Obi Wan for favorites. That's what I'll put for favorites, yeah, and I'll turn it over for you for favorites. Then I'll jump into my strongest. You jump into your strongest, and I'll do my debate, and then we'll head out of here. Let's do it. Uh, so. My favorites, number one, everyone knows I'm a fucking Sith. That's why I've been a Sith Targaryen (laughs) all my life, baby, all my life. Number one, I have brought peace to my new empire. You do not understand my power. Anakin Skywalker, baby. Fuck yeah. Dude had the highest metachlorian count. Everyone bet against him for being a fucking pod racer he came from number one kicked their ass in the pod races became a fucking beast had the hot girl fucking padme who was a beast on her own fought for what he loved he was the guy that got turned down like turned down multiple times turned down multiple times and still got still got the girl man still got the girl now i mean granted led to his demise (laughs) but that's another story trained Ahsoka Tano there what has this guy not done took on one of the most badass two the two most badass Jedi in the world he fought over here Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan damn Kenobi uh Qui-Gon Jinn discovered him fucking awesome I loved it I love Battle of Heroes, the fucking battle they had on that fucking lava planet, whatever the fuck it was. It was fantastic. Anakin Skywalker, baby. Number one favorite in the fucking world. <laughs> fucking man. <laughs> number two. 
his his son because like father like son baby luke skywalker yeah fuck yeah uh i love what he did in return of the jedi thought it was sick how he did that whole flip thing with that worm thing in the ground classic scene where he rescues his sister you had some john snow Danny stuff. I don't kind of I guess symbolized there. It's kind of weird, <laughs> but it was badass. It was cool. Uh, you know, Luke Skywalker has always been the hero. He went out and sought out Yoda that was over on Dagobah. It was great. Number three, my boy, Yoda man, Yoda man. Oh, that's right, Yoda. Yeah, he's fucking awesome that's all i can really say dude's been around 900 years and he was still kicking ass that's all i gotta say he's still training people when he's dead man he's still giving advice to ray skywalker after he's dead it was freaking amazing can't top that shit and he took on fucking palpatine if you want to see our debate on darth maul and yoda go check out social media where we did our live last year at the convention fuck yeah it was badass Going into number four. Number four. Honestly, no one's going to like this, and they're going to give me shit for it. Din Djarin. Mando himself, baby. And you know fucking why? He fucking uses a spear. Don't give a fuck about the rules. Can bring you in hot. Can bring it. Can bring you in warm. Or can bring you in cold. And he's over in motherfucking Martell. Number four, Din Jarin, baby. Din fucking Jarin. Number five, because I'm still a Sith Lord. Gotta give it to your boy. Darth fucking Maul uses two fucking lightsabers. Everyone that was a child when episode one came out, everyone that was a child in the theater when those lightsabers came out, their mouth dropped in the theater. It was like, this is what we've been waiting for. This is it. This is it now. I got to give it to my boy Darth Maul. Uh, Now, yeah, this is where we go into the debate for that debate card for your powerful ones. Uh, so who is your top five most powerful characters in Star Wars? And I want to know why. And that's the debate part. Over to you, Uncle Nelly. All right. So the most powerful, and this is why it differs from my favorite, right? The most, he, he didn't, this one did not end up on my favorite list at all. I don't like him. But most powerful, we're going to go with Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader for number one. Right, yeah. like he's probably the top. He really is. You know, he's got the highest medical count. He's a bad guy. Everyone aspires to be. They want to like, live up to Vader's name, even when uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, Adam Driver, Kylo Ren. There we go. Ben Solo. Uh, he he wants to uh, you know live up to that that Vader name. You know that he took the whole galaxy by storm. He ruled it all. Right. And I, I would argue that it was more Vader than Palpatine. If you have this big argument in sports, you know, was the Patriots dynasty more Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? And this is kind of like the Star Wars debate. Was the dynasty more Vader or was it more Palpatine? I think it was more Vader. You know, I, I think that Darth Vader is the number one strongest. Uh, he ended up, you know, he Anakin lost that, that duel in the Battle of Heroes against Obi-Wan. But he came back as Darth Vader, took over the universe, like at least that side of it. Killed Obi-Wan in A New Hope. I know Obi-Wan let him do it. It's fine. Still, 
think <laughs> that Darth Maul, or I'm sorry, Darth Vader uh, or Anakin can take the number one spot for the most powerful. Number two, I still think it's our guy Yoda, man. Uh, Yoda's got to be up there for both of them. He has a very strong presence in the Force. At 900 years old, he was able to train Luke Skywalker in the in the nuances of the Force. Even got like annoyed by him at one point. Pulled out a whole ship from the water. Doesn't matter. But <laughs> he, he also fought uh, Count Dooku. When both Anakin and Obi-Wan got their asses whooped by Count Dooku, Yoda stepped in, did some flashy shit. It was pretty cool, you know. I know Chase had mentioned the the debate that we had between Darth Maul and Yoda. I want him to remember and everyone else to remember that was simply and specifically for how they wielded a lightsaber only, not if like all ability is included, just lightsaber ability. But um, yeah, so Yoda will take number two. Number three. This is gonna might take people by surprise, but. I honestly think Mace Windu. I think Mace Windu will take the number three spot in, yeah. in the Star Wars universe for me specifically because y'all remember he had Palpatine dead to rights. Palpatine was using that like crazy lightning shit, and Mace Windu had blocked it with his purple lightsaber, and it was flying back on Palpatine, like making him all uh, grotesque and weird looking, very close to killing him until Anakin, you know, stepped in and and caught Mace Windu off guard because Anakin should have been on the Jedi side versus the Sith side, you know. Um, but anyways, you know, he was a Jedi Master. He's one of the most prominent Jedi Masters. Mace Windu had a prominent position on the Council of the Jedis. Uh, just, you can see his ability with the lightsaber on top of that. It's Samuel L. Jackson, motherfucker. Uh, so, yeah, he says that in yeah. all of his movies. Nick that was awesome. Fury, baby. But, uh, you know, he probably takes the number three spot on my most powerful my number four spot on most powerful it would probably have to go to see this is where it gets a little tricky right i i want to say you know what I'll, I'll say the bloodline strong and go number four with luke skywalker uh luke is the one that ended That's up good. bringing balance to the force at the end took down the empire he had the little fight with his daddy Daddy whooped his ass the first time around. Came back. Came <laughs> daddy, back big Daddy came in and said, "Get the fuck out of here!" Why I cut off your fucking hand and go find it, bitch. <laughs> no, yeah. so, no, that's right. Daddy Luke said, had to. Yeah, Luke had to figure out how to overcome that and still end up at the top there. So I'll probably put put Luke at number four, and then number five for my strongest Star Wars characters. Hmm. Again, very, very difficult to, to place, but... It's interesting counting down, too, because I feel like it's <laughs> we always yeah, counting We down. always go 5 to 1 instead of 1 to 5, right? Yeah, you know, but it's cause... interesting, because now it's even harder, because I feel like it's easy to pick out like the top of the most powerful with like Metachlorian counts and stuff, but as you get more to like kind of the level playing field, that's a tough one, because there's so many there. Yeah, so my number five spot, and this is gonna be a little, little weird, but I'll have to go, to go to it just because of him being in the shadows of everything and being the puppet master behind it all. I'll probably take Emperor Palpatine for number five. You know, he's got Makes he's sense. like his his force abilities are so much more advanced than anyone else, including Yoda. He fought Yoda with the Force and arguably beat him. It was very, very close. Uh, Yoda had to retreat, couldn't couldn't overtake him, right? 
you know, they, Palpatine didn't defeat Yoda. Yoda didn't defeat him. It was more of a stalemate. But if I'm putting Yoda at number two, you know, the thing is, is we've never seen Palpatine wield a lightsaber. We've seen Yoda do both before seeing the lightsaber, yeah. right? So I can't put him as high as that. So I will put Emperor Palpatine at number five. So to recap, my number one goes with Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker, however you want to refer to him. Number two goes to Yoda. Number three goes to Mace Windu. Number four, Luke Skywalker. Number five, Emperor Palpatine. And with that, I'll turn it over to you to give your five strongest one through five. Yeah, and uh, you are absolutely. I don't. I don't watch the Clone Wars uh, just because. Like I, I've seen pieces of it. Like I should probably watch it more in depth. But the diehard Star Wars fans actually believe it or not, Palpatine. They have an episode in there where Palpatine took on Savage Opress and Darth Maul at the same time and used two lightsabers. So. And it's a short clip you can see on YouTube, uh, and he defeated both of them. But that was like right during the Clone Wars saga. Um, so I guess if you want to consider that too, that goes and uh, also uh, really backs up your point there uh, for how powerful he is. But for me, uh, you know, actually I'm gonna have to disagree with you a little bit. As much as I want to put Anakin at the top, I can't because. Keep in mind, Yoda's almost 900 years old. Like, yeah, he had the... Anakin had the highest Metachlorian count they've ever seen in so long. But at the same time, you can... He also... Yeah, he might be powerful. But I feel like if Yoda tapped into that fear... Because Siths are... Like myself, I am one. <laughs> drives their force through power is really what they do versus balance and trying to find balance with the force and i so i feel like yoda is the most powerful in my opinion plus he mastered every single style of the jedi and how to wield the force he fought palpatine to a stalemate anakin de got defeated by dooku because he wouldn't listen to obi-wan and then he had to step in so i put yoda at number one Right with you, I would put Anakin as number two just because he had the highest Metachlorian count ever. People are going to hate me for this. Like, you're really... People are really going to fucking hate me. Some people don't even consider this shit fucking canon. <laughs> but it is. I'm putting Ray fucking Palpatine <laughs> at number three <laughs> based on the shit she did, man. Ray Palpatine, number three, bro, because she can jump and do backflips over uh, over ships. Um, she could apparently heal people with the Force. Ray Palpatine, number three, baby, number three. Super Ray, Super Ray. She's basically the Superman of Star Wars. Some might even argue the strongest. She beat Palpatine, but needed some help. So I'm going to put Palpatine at number four. Because she, he stood up to Rey. Also, Palpatine fought Yoda and beat Anakin. Uh, but never really wielded a lightsaber, right? What you're saying. So, yeah, number four. Uh, number five, this is where it gets tough. Just like you said, as most powerful. I'm going to... Man, very tough. I'm going to say Obi-Wan. I mean, because a lot of people... I agree with you. I like Mace Windu. But Obi-Wan fought... Obi-Wan beat Anakin. Like, yeah, Anakin uh, made a stupid decision. But even if it was one-on-one -on -one like that, 
he basically could have pretty much fought him to a stalemate. And he trained Anakin, who had the highest Metachlorian count, and was able to keep him under his wing up until, like, that very last part of the Clone Wars. I don't think any other Jedi would be able to mentally be able to make him, uh, you know, respect him like the way he did uh, if he wasn't that powerful. So I would say, uh, yeah, number uh, number uh, one, I put Yoda. Number two, Anakin. Number three, Ray fucking Skywalker. Number four, Palpatine. And uh, number five, Obi Wan Kenobi, baby. Let's uh, let's get those debates going. That was your malice card, your great debate card, in the tipsy gypsy, baby. All three at once that we advertised just for you guys. How you feeling right now, Jane Ellie? Feeling pretty good. I'm feeling fine. I still got my one last debate before we close out today that I'm excited to bring up. Uh, do it, because like I, I, you had two, but the first one I had was basically the same one chase had so we can call that a wash out of there um (laughs) my second my my second debate and the last debate that we'll have before we close up with this episode here is do you think that with luke taking grogu and training him that this is the start of that moment that we find out in the new trilogy where luke trained ben solo too but Ben Solo flipped to the dark side and destroyed Luke's training temple and killed the other students. Are you being, uh, just to make sure I answer the question correctly, are we talking about like, are you wanting, is this this like a specific year or something? So my, or no, no, my question about- is like with, with, with Luke taking Grogu and going off to train him, Obviously, Luke has, we find out in the new trilogy, Luke was training a bunch of students in the Art of the Jedi ways, right? And we right. learned that Ben Solo killed all the other students when underneath Luke's tutelage. And that's why like, Luke never wanted to train or be a part of Rey's stuff because of all the things that happened when he was trying to train Jedi and Ben Solo went to the dark side and killed all the other students. My question is, is like the debate about it is like, him taking Grogu here is is this the start of that like you know he's starting his training with the other you know trying to train other Jedis is especially given the time frame with Han Solo and Princess Leia being together at this point in time because we see Luke Skywalker as he is from the original trilogy right correct them having that baby too are we kind of getting to this point where in the timeline that Luke is training all these Jedi Grogu being one of them and this is where Ben Solo comes in and kills them all like you know after after a certain amount of time of training however many weeks or days or months it was is this kind of going into that point like you know is this this is where this starts is luke doing his duty as a jedi master training other jedis because he's kind of the last one surviving right at this point outside of ahsoka tano but she's already kind of you know exiled herself into wherever the fuck she is (laughs) like so my question is is like is this the point that we're getting to where it ties into the new trilogy where Luke is now training these Jedis and trying to, but one of them goes to the dark side, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren, and he kills all the other students. Like, is this is this this training group? That, that's my question. I think it's getting there. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think that's where it's headed. Um, in my opinion, I think what we're gonna try to, you know, I think, 
I have an idea. I have no idea where this is going, honestly. This is no insight or anything. It's just a thought. I think everything's going to go well with training Grogu, but I think Luke is going to realize, based on the species Grogu is, he can't just train him by himself. So I think what's going to basically wind up happening, I don't know if we'll ever see glimpses of this or anything, but the way they'll make this make sense is that Luke winds up, Grogu basically becomes trained by Jedi directly from like the Jedi Temple, or they'll actually find the findlings. So he'll wind up being trained by species that are Yodu, Yoda, because he's not the same species as human. Um, and I think that's where it winds up happening that Luke winds up kind of, you'll probably see like Ben Kenobi. That would be really cool to see. Ben Solo, see like he's ben not Kenobi. Kenobi, he's Ben Solo. There's no Kenobi. <laughs> ben Solo, whatever the fuck his name is. Ben Solo Dolo, the movie sucked, Solo. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> never mind. Anyways, but yeah, Ben Solo. I think that's, I think it would be cool to see, like that's when you see as like Ben, like towards the end, like say if they get their own show or like the very end, like, you know, say Mandalorian's been out another five years, like in the later seasons, you start seeing Ben Solo as like, you know, like a five-year-old kid or like a, a little kid, something like that. And then that's when you see like things start to go wrong as as Ben Solo gets o- older. Um, so that's a good idea. I, I think you're right. I think we're kind of right on the cusp of that. I think like at this point in time, I would say maybe Ben Solo is like three years old, maybe or something or just being born. Uh, but that's my opinion on it. What's your thoughts on that? So I, I, I respect what you said, and like it's very possible that it could be that he trains Grogu first, and like the timeline's just a bit different. But I honestly think that it leads directly into this. Like I, I honestly think that it makes sense timeline-wise that because this isn't like the day after the Empire fell, right? This is a couple right. of years after the Empire fell, so who knows what how busy Han Solo and Princess Leia were getting in the meantime. Oh god. You know what I mean? <laughs> Dear only Lord. only point I'm saying that is like we could have definitely had a child on the way. It doesn't it's not irrational to think that a child could have been born between Han Solo and Princess Leia during this time period between the Return of the Jedi and where the Mandalorian starts. Right? It's very possible mm-hmm. that that, right. that kid could have already been born. You know, so what I think is going to happen is that I, I, I disagree in the fact that I, I don't think Luke will be able to train Grogu to a point. I don't think that Grogu is going to go ahead and get like further training from other findlings. I do think that what's going to end up happening, and this is just my opinion again, is that that big catastrophe is going to take place. And Grogu is going to be in that same class as Ben Solo. But... I don't think that Ben ends up killing Grogu. I think Grogu somehow escapes in one way, shape, or form. That whole massacre that Ben Solo kills the whole students that Luke was training. I just think Grogu escapes. And the reason why I think Grogu escapes is that he's been such a main focal point of this show. And the new wave of Jedi is going forward that it seems like a waste to build it all up like that. Just to have him die in training before he becomes a full-fledged Jedi, especially since we know how important Yoda was in the original trilogy, and Grogu being the same species as Yoda, you want to think that he's going to be equally important going forward too. So, like it, to me, it could possibly be where 
they are in the same class together and Ben Solo kills everyone. I just don't think he kills Grogu. I think Grogu somehow finds a way to escape. It would make no sense at all for it to lead up to that and Grogu being the one that gets killed. Like It would make sense arc-wise for Ben Solo, or later on known as Kylo Ren. It makes sense for him. But it's like, you've built us up this far. You've made us like go through all this trouble to make sure Grogu gets trained by someone. And that someone is Luke Skywalker. Just to have him killed in training? I don't think it goes like that. I do think they could possibly be in the same training class together. I just think that Grogu finds a way to escape and doesn't get killed by Ben Solo there. And maybe at that point in time, maybe Ahsoka Tano comes back into play a little bit. Maybe other things come back into play. I just... I think the timeline matches up well. I think Grogu could very well be in the same class as Ben Solo. I just think he finds a way to escape before Ben Solo kills everybody else in that class. So that's my last thoughts on it. Yeah, just one question on that for you. Do you think at some point ever, whether it's Mandalorian or they get their own show, we start to see, like, we actually see Mark Hamill on screen, like, the way he is, like, how he's been older in the new series like even if it's at the very end like he actually makes an appearance himself do you think they'll ever do it i don't think they can like as himself today you know what i mean like at the at the end of the day too, yeah. he's getting older and who knows and this isn't i'm not wishing anything about anyone knock on wood but like number one who knows if he's still around when it gets to this point for the shows right that this is still like year, right, yeah. this is still years away like anything mm-hmm. could happen between now and then and number two it just wouldn't make sense Right, timeline-wise, he gets very, very old when the new trilogy comes around. And if this is between, you know, the end of Return of the Jedi before, and this is like right after that, well before the New Order, it wouldn't make sense for him to come back that old, even in mm-hmm. the years following the Mandalorian timeline, because there's still a big gap between the Mandalorian timeline and then the New Order. So I just, I don't think so. I don't think the original actor Mark Hamill is going to play any sort of uh, appearance in either the Mandalorian show or if there is a spin-off show between Grogu and Luke and how the training goes there. I, I, I don't see it. It just doesn't make sense timeline-wise for me. I, I could be wrong, but that's my thoughts on it. So here's my question. Like, do you think we kind of keep seeing Luke as like these little cameos? It's just hard for me to even imagine. Like, you know, you're CGI-ing him the way he looks before into that be like a main main character that you're seeing through most of this show and you're seeing it cgi like that do you think that's the way they play this out or do you think he's more going to be kind of like flashbacks and in cameos sort of thing or do you think technology is just really like we're gonna not really know the difference kind of thing i think they'll just keep doing it i think it's going to be somewhere in between the two of those things i think that when the training goes on for Grogu and for the rest of the class, whoever it may be included in that class, it's going to focus more on the students and we'll see Luke in the background maybe giving instructions, but he's not going to be a main focal point. Like, I don't think it's going to have the camera on him and he's doing a bunch of stuff and it's like he's the main focal point of the series. I think very much so he may be given instructions and he may be coming in and out of screen a lot, but it's going to be mainly focused on Grogu and the other students learning you know, however, the, the learning stuff from him and very much similar to Harry Potter where you learn some things from the, the professors that you go into, but a lot of it you learn on your own through other trials that you face just in life, right? And I think right. that's I think it's going to be a little bit of how it's going to play here too is that like Luke Skywalker CGI form will be there, 
but I don't think he's like like the camera's not going to pan on him. He's not going to be the main focus point. It's going to be more on Grogu and the other students and how they're learning. And you maybe get like sermons or like teaches or speeches or whatever it may be. I just don't find Luke in the CGI form having the biggest role in a potential new series. I think it would be more so along the lines of this is Luke up there blurried in the background teaching X, Y, and Z and Grogu's like interacting with his classmates and they're trying to learn stuff on their own and things like that. That's my thought process. Yeah, no, I I think that's great. Or even if he, you know, comes along and Luke kind of introduces like a a new Jedi that's there, like to kind of take him on and help him out or... I mean, this could really be, like, their answer for... So many people were requesting, like, a Yoda Origins. Like, what's it like when Yoda went through the trials and that sort of thing? This could very well be their answer for that. Like, you see Yoda... Or, not Yoda. I was saying Yoda now. You see Grogu, like, grow and kind of go through the trials and the things that are different since he is a finling. So, very great stuff, man. It's uh, it's It's been an awesome episode today because... I love diving into this stuff and and just seeing where uh, this show and franchise goes from here. So it's it's great to be a Star Wars fan right now. Absolutely, man. I think that kind of closes up a little bit. The same thing that we say at the end of all of our episodes. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. Click the like button. Leave us comments, reviews, whatever it may be. We love the fan engagement. It's been at an all-time high since we started season two of our show here at Jason Josh Factor Fantasy. Chase has done an amazing job getting the TikTok numbers through the roof. I think on our last video of TikTok, we're somewhere upwards of 125K views on like a, a Patronus thing that we did for a Harry Potter standalone. Uh, on top of that, we have got our the pages themselves that you can follow. Our initial one, at official Ridiculous Patronus for Instagram, at Ridiculous Patronus for TikTok. We have Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy. We have got Snapchat at RP Factor Fantasy. You can find us on the secondary Instagram and TikTok that we made as well. That's more specific to what we cover on the shows as we go through it. And that is at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Again, for both Instagram and TikTok as a secondary. And on top of that, we got that Facebook fan page too that we're always on top of. The, the Jason Josh Factor Fantasy, you can find us there on Facebook. When it comes to the actual podcast show itself, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Acast, Stitcher, whatever you get your Podbean. Podcast. Podbean, <laughs> yeah, our, our, our host site, Podbean, the one that's done like the most for us through the whole, this whole show and the whole business <laughs> that we've been doing. Uh, they've been fantastic to us, so shout out Podbean. We've been on their number one. We've been number one or number two, depending on what week it is, on their featured list since last October. It's been well over a year that chase and i have been on their featured list with our show so uh all the credit in the world to Podbean for seeing the vision and stuff that we've been doing here so thank you guys so much for following if you haven't done so already go ahead and click like and subscribe that we already said to all those pages that we just mentioned outside of that that's going to close us out for the mandalorian season two we're really excited about where it's going to come in the future we don't know when mandalorian season three is going to come out we know the book of boba fett's coming out pretty soon here we're excited for that as well but Obi-Wan show, Ahsoka Tano. We got a lot of Star Wars stuff. A lot of Star Wars stuff coming up. But that is the end and finality of where we're at today in this day and age for Mandalorian Season 2. We're going to pick it back up whenever Mandalorian Season 3 comes around. At the end of the day, you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.